podcast that gives 110%, this may not be the one for you. However, if you're looking for one that's about 110% longer than usual, then you've found it. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio. Today on the pod, we have full-time employee Dave Cameron, and also our resident philosopher, Matt Clausen. In this particular episode of the pod, we take up the issue of Armando Galarraga and his would-be perfect game. We look at it from a couple of different angles. For one, we look at the call by Jim Joyce and wonder about instant replay and the possibilities therein. Additionally, we consider Galarraga's performance in itself. Are we excited by perfect games because they are excellent performances or because it's an opportunity to witness luck in action? Furthermore, we move on to a stat that I myself introduced to the wide readership last week, NERD. This represents an attempt to put a number on the potential joy any single game might give to the baseball nerd. We sort out some of the strengths and weaknesses of the current nerd score, and I ask today's panel to suggest some likely improvements that would make nerd even better. This sort of white-hot analysis and more on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Yes, indeed it is. Fangraphs Audio. I am uh, sitting around sitting at the round table uh, with a couple of tried-and-true Fangraphs audio veterans. The first one is our full-time employee, Seattle native, now living in the southeast of this United States. His name is Dave Cameron. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, Carson. How are you? Dave, uh, I'll tell you why I'm not excellent necessarily is because I just endured May in Portland, Oregon, and apparently it's the fourth wettest May in recorded history. Nice. It's been lit- It's rained literally every day except for one <laughs> that I can remember. Would it help if I told you that it's like 84 here today? No, that wouldn't help at all. Well, actually, that's not that surprising because it's it's spring slash summer everywhere else in the United in the United States. Uh, probably not everywhere. I mean, I don't think Alaska is like sunbathing right now, are they? Well, uh, it's hard to say. Of course, the next best thing to Alaska is Canada, and that's where uh, today's other guest comes from. You may know him as Devil Fingers. That's not his real name. It is Matt Clausen. He's joining us from the wilds of the frozen north. Clausen, you there? Yes, but it's more of the soggy north right now. Oh, okay. So, so, so it was frozen, what, two weeks ago? Uh, we actually did have snow in May, yes. Okay. But, um, but it, is it not warmer there right now? Yeah, it's really nice here now. It's been really uh, uh, hot this week, actually. But I, I actually turned the air conditioning on, which I shamefully admit to our audience of millions. But uh, Great. Why don't uh, you just slap Mother Nature in the face? I did. Oh, you did, right. And then I stole her purse. Uh, and and what, the, uh, what the listening audience will not know is that we had a kind of lengthy discussion about meta-ethics prior to pushing the record button uh, in response, uh, at least mostly Clausen's response, to uh, new Fangraphs signing Pat Andriola's uh, post with regard to James not James Joyce in philosophy, although that's also relevant, uh, Jim Joyce, umpire Jim Joyce in philosophy. Yeah, Andriola, if you're out there, watch your back. <laughs> um, I'm sure he hears you loud and clear <laughs> on uh, Monday or Tuesday or whenever this is being posted. Um, it might be too late. Well, the thing that the thing that Pat Andriola wrote about, um, and you know, the reason why utilitarianism even came up was because of Armando Galarraga's uh, uh, would-be perfect game, uh, pseudo-perfect game, however it is you want to phrase it. 
I'm sure the uh, average Fangraphs reader, or even the below average Fangraphs reader, um, <laughs> uh, the replacement level Fangraphs reader is aware of the fact that Detroit Tiger pitcher Armando Galarraga uh, had a perfect game through 26 outs, and then uh, it was only thwarted by a poor call on a, a by by umpire Jim Joyce. Uh, there are a number of things that the Galarraga's performance uh, that that game generally and that play specifically, you know, it, there are so many things to talk about. Um, as I see it, though, for the sake of the pot at least, we could kind of go two directions. I mean, we'll probably go in both of them, but there are two directions to go. One, there's the performance itself, right? There's Galarraga's performance. Was it excellent? Was it incredibly lucky? That's something we could discuss a little bit down the road. I think probably the you know the more sort of noteworthy event, the the thing that you know, brings up a lot of different uh, avenues is the call, right? The call and what to do about it. Cameron, we're going to start with you. Um, you actually you actually wrote two posts about the call. One was the travesty, right, which was sort of just reflecting upon the call itself. The other direction you decided to go was to it was just a simple proposal uh, for a replay system in baseball. Uh, I'll let you pick it up there. Maybe talk about the implications of the call, and then uh, you know what what it sort of provided you in terms of fodder for suggesting something to Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those things that, like, you know, I watched it in real time. I saw that uh, Galarraga had a perfect game through eight innings, so I turned it on. I was like, you know, I want to watch the guy try and get his perfect game. And uh, so watching it live, it was one of, really one of the most like shocking things that I'd ever seen in a baseball game. I mean, like, the, it, to me. Even at full speed live, it was a brutal call. Brutal. I mean, just like, I couldn't believe it when he called him safe. Then they showed the replay, and I was just absolutely stunned. And so it was one of those things that it just really drove home the point. That, well, let me, wait, uh, let me interrupt. Costa, did you think it was, the call was brutal at the time? Did you see it in, in real time, or did you at least see it like full speed? I didn't see it in real time. Uh, you only saw replays the first time you saw it was a replay, or did you? I, I've only watched it. A couple of times. I could, you know, just, uh, so, but yeah, I, I watched replays of it. And of course, uh, it's hard to go back to the original thing. I think the first time I saw it was in, uh, slow mo. Yeah, well, of course. Or okay. something like that. So when you see that, so my view of the uh, actual play is distorted. Even when you see it in real time, then it's not the same. Yeah, because I actually thought it was, I thought it was a little closer, especially because he bobbled the ball. Or not bobbled necessarily, but took it awkwardly, maybe. And he was sort of looking for the bag with his foot. But Cameron, you feel confident saying that, you know, that was just a straight up bad call even in real time? Well, my my gut reaction when it happened was that was a horrible call, okay. and then you know I turned out to be right. So apparently my gut reactions are more accurate than yours. Yeah, well, but, you, uh, I've seen you, and you have more of a gut too. So I don't know. Uh, oh, burn. Hey, nice. That, that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know, anyway, uh, I think like it was just one of those things where when you saw it. I, you immediately had to think, like, you know, Jim Joyce didn't intentionally blow this call. This wasn't a situation where he was being a bad umpire, like throwing Roy Oswald out of the game. It was just bad umpiring. Uh, he just made a mistake. And as a human being, you wish he didn't make a mistake, but that's what human beings do. We make a lot of them. You just insulted me on our podcast. That was kind of a mistake. That's a human uh, error, yeah. Right, so, you know, we just accept that people make errors and move on. But there's no way that... Uh, Jim Joyce's ability to make a call at first base should change history. And so, you know, there was no way to feel anything other than just terrible for Armando Galarraga. Um, and, you know, when it happened, I was like, well, this if this doesn't force replay on baseball, nothing ever will. 
So, so what's your proposal for replay? If you want to just sort of recap it and allow uh, Klaassen and I to dig deeper. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there's some complicated issues, um, and maybe total replay on every play is something that would take a, a long time to implement, or at least to agree upon. Um, what you do with, you know, fly balls where the the batters have to react to what the umpire says, and you know they make make different decisions if the call would have been differently. Like those are complicated questions. So I basically stuck to really like at first base the safe out call or any base really, but the safe out call is the main one that. Uh, can be a game changer that is really easy to fix with a video umpire. And so essentially I'm just suggesting that we add a fifth umpire to every crew. Um, Major League Baseball has already admitted that four is not enough for the postseason. They have two extra umpires down the line to try and make more accuracy. So if Major League Baseball and the umpires agree that four is not the optimal number in order for accuracy, then why, you know, there shouldn't be any objection to adding a fifth. And just give him the benefit of technology, sit him in a room with a whole bunch of TVs, give him an earpiece where he talks to the rest of the crew, and on close plays, give the umpires the right to say, I don't know, and the, uh, replay umpire jumps in and says safe or out or, you know, whatever the call needs to be. Because he has a better vantage point. I mean, you know, the the reason that the umpires stand where they do is because they the best angle they have in order to view the play. Well, it's not the best angle overall. It's the best angle on the field. So if we add a uh, an umpire in a booth somewhere with three or four television cameras that he can look at and make better decisions based on better angles, there's just no reason not to take advantage of that. Okay, yeah, Klaus, there's a question I'd like to uh, to, to ask you, and because it's of a slightly philosophical nature. And I'm uh, curious as to your response to it. One, um, I guess, uh, one dissenting from uh, a person who, if, if they wanted to dissent from the idea that we should have instant replay uh, or extended instant replay, uh, would be that it creates a slippery slope. Um, and a slippery slope—that's a term we hear in, uh, of course, in you know political uh, 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 policy forming. I guess. I'm, uh, what, what is that? Uh, what sort of fallacy is slippery slope? Is that a fallacy? Does that exist? Can you talk about the idea of slippery slope and then maybe apply it to this in particular? Well, I think uh, I think the idea of a slippery slope is that you know once you've crossed a certain line, you're never going to get back. You can't just make certain exceptions and then pretend like it's not going to affect things, and you get to where you're uh, doing something all the time. Like you say, well, in this one instance, we're going to ignore somebody's Miranda rights. Uh, but it's okay, and after this, you know, we won't make any more exceptions. This one time, it's a real, it's a really uh, horrible criminal, and then from there we go, you know, and then. Uh, but we're worried about setting every, precedence, right? That's the right, idea. right, right. So, so, so that, but I think that was more of a concern that I, that I share with, with 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 something else that we don't necessarily have to get into. Well, which a lot of people talk, which would be uh, overturn for like Seelig to come in and overturn and just say, okay, it was a perfect game. That last play, that that's not. But, that, but I don't. But I don't think that's the issue with instant replay, though. I mean, I guess it could be where you said, you know, we could replay everything. I think Dave, uh, unfortunately for the interest of our readers, I actually, I mean, it's it, sorry, listeners and readers, if you're interesting if Dave and I can argue about his replay proposal. But I, I mean, I like it. I like it as a great starting off point. I don't because because of its uh, obviousness, but, 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 you, I mean, but, but also simplicity. I'm not sure what kind of slippery slope we could go down. For one thing, you don't have, to, to, you don't. I mean, the only slippery slope. I can see there will be that if the umpires got really jittery and were asking for replay constantly on every play, but I, I don't see that happening necessarily. Well, you could either have is, is, Dave, is the Dave Allen world, right? Our own Dave Allen, where robots just play baseball. Well, right, but well, yeah, that's that's a whole other issue. Is I mean, I 
and we talk about the uh, so 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 let's start with the, the robots playing baseball. Okay, let's let's, let's leave that aside for now. Because I actually thought I was thinking about this earlier today, just thinking about robot umpires, and I started thought about robot players, and I started thinking about players who reminded me the most of robots. But as for but as for for umpires, I, I don't think there's any reason in principle. I feel you know obviously you don't want to see anybody get get put out of work uh, by technology, but for the sake of the game, it might be better. But I don't think that's where we're going to with this replay. Maybe we would. What would be wrong with that? We have robots doing it. We have robots machines doing a lot of things that we didn't 50 years ago. I don't think we're really close to that with umpires. But you don't think that the uh, game, I mean, because the game, part of the joy of it is that it's founded on tradition, right? And that we can we can understand, I mean, that we have a context for a lot of things. Uh, but every it, departure from that, I think, uh, creates a bit of anxiety for, for baseball followers. Well, it, cre- it creates anxiety, and I don't think it's unique to baseball, but it seems to, not, people from other sports, I, I maybe. I don't, I don't know all the sports and the ins and outs. Baseball seems to be more attached to the silly parts of its traditions or the things that aren't essential to the game than, than other sports. But let me put it this way. Can you, you can imagine, because it happens on schoolyards or you're used to all the time, you can imagine a game of baseball without an umpire, right? Yeah, I've done it before. Yeah. Can you imagine a game of baseball with umpires and no players? Uh, it would be bizarre. It doesn't seem yeah. like a game of baseball to me. No, it, it, it wouldn't be. And so that's what's essential to the game. But I think I think uh, that's a pretty. I think we're pretty far from 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 that. Uh, for one thing, I I think the technology would help things. And I, here's one thing I'd want to say uh, is I think some people object because if some sort of replay system will be in, it won't be perfect. Uh, I don't think they'll put it that way. They'll, they'll point out the problems, but of course. We, we were to, that the goal is perfection in these sorts of things that are you know these calls that uh, that are important to the game, but just because uh, it, it only has to improve things. I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but somebody's going to say, "Well, yeah, but it's not going to cover foul balls, so why bother?" All right, so Clausen, I'm going to interrupt you right here. I, w- I want to find out from Cameron first of all. This is something that uh, Clausen mentioned was the the possibility of overturning the call and the fact that there's a little to no precedent for such a thing uh, and that B, uh, that it might create a precedent for, you know, the commissioner to do, uh, you know, potentially more and make it more invasive calls. Is that something that you would advocate for, the overturning of a call, simply because it's like, when is it ever going to happen again that the this call is made on the, the 27th out? Yeah, I, I, I would advocate for RC, like overturning the call, giving Dolorado an official perfect game, uh, because I think that we have some specific knowledge that I think wipes out the argument, at least for me, wipes out the argument of, well, how do we overturn all these other things? And, you know, do we go back and change the 85 World Series? Because we know we have the knowledge of what happened after the bad call. The very next batter grounded out, the game ended. That's it. There was n- literally nothing would change. If you went back and awarded Armando Galarraga a perfect game, nothing else in baseball would change. Like the, uh, the result of that game wouldn't change. There was no, uh, events that happened after that that were predicated on the call of Jim Joyce. So I think we can go back and change that call with no repercussions to where we cannot go back 20 years and change a call and have no repercussions because we don't know what would have happened if, if the call had been different. Same thing later in the same evening when the Twins, uh, Mariners game was decided. The Mariners won the game on a bad call at second base. We don't know what would have happened had the call been changed because at that point the game would have been tied and you can't award a, a winner. In this case, we have specific knowledge that there is no harm. There's no physical harm to anything else 
there's no tangible change that will occur other than Armando Galarraga is justly corrected for what uh, uh, awarded a perfect game, which he actually did throw. So I think because this is such a specific, unique scenario, uh, we're actually lucky in a sense that we can change it without having to speculate about what other causes you know, what other things were affecting, nothing else would be affected. Yeah, now, obviously, you know, with regard to over, possibly overturning the call, with regard to perhaps introducing a more complete instant replay system, um, there are people who probably self-identify as traditionalists, right, uh, that say that, you know, that this is not, this would be, I don't know about a travesty for baseball, but it would, um, it would I guess, uh, it would complicate their appreciation of baseball. A question. I think that you know one of the things that's actually genuinely nice about baseball is its tradition, right? It, you know, it goes back, uh, you know, without without much difficulty, it's possible to enjoy 140 years essentially of baseball history. How do we even? I, even I think the most sort of you know newfangled baseball fan feels that way. So how do we um, introduce these changes while still respecting the, tradi- the the baseball tradition. And are these people quacks essentially? Um, are they excessively traditional? Who say instant replay? Anything more will ruin the game. I mean, I like tradition as much as the next person, but I can imagine the same argument being made a hundred years ago as people uh, argued for the slippery slope of introducing gloves. Uh, like, oh, we're not going to make these players field with their bare hands. What's next? They're going to have fishing nets, and they're going to just throw them over the infield, and they're going to build 47-foot-high walls, and, like, we're, we're just going to let them... Well, I mean, you know, like it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, well, then the, the green monster. But, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you can imagine this argument being made when someone was like, hey, maybe we should put a piece of leather on these guys so they're not getting line drives off their knuckles. And people are like, well, no, we can't change the way game has been played. Obviously, gloves have been a significant improvement as a technological step forward that has helped the game. And so I don't think we can say we are bound to history, we are bound to tradition, in order to sustain a level of the game that we're used to when there's a better potential game to be played. And I, I can't imagine that anybody watched that game on Wednesday night and was like, yep, I'm happy this happened uh, because this is how, ha- you know, this would have happened 50 years ago and it's going to happen today and that means we get to maintain our tradition. Uh, I think any normal person who watched that thought that was a travesty of justice and felt really bad for everyone involved and wished it hadn't occurred. Well, Next thing you know, they'll, they'll be letting guys wear batting helmets. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So Branch so Rickey, he, he definitely ruined baseball, I think, by insisting on that with the Pirates. I think that is really. I have not enjoyed the last fifty years of baseball because of batting helmets. Well, and you're almost fifty years old, so that's uh, yes. possibly true. The the thing I want to say, though, right, and here's one argument that I think a sane person could make uh, for why this situation itself has actually worked out. Uh, Cameron, we'll start with you. This it's because the reactions by both Armando Galarraga and umpire Jim Joyce have been preposterously uh, humane and civil. Galarraga's reaction at the time, which was sort of a wry smile and, and chuckle, as if to say, uh, you know, you know, uh, I, I don't even know what is to say, Like, or I guess that's life, right? Que sera, sera, he's not Italian, but I'm sure he'd at least be able to understand that. Uh, and then Joyce, his sort of his uh, obviously uh, heartfelt apology, and then the sort of moment that the two of them shared uh, Thursday when uh, Armando Galarraga brought out the lineup to Jim uh, to Jim Joyce, we can almost say that despite the fact that the rules are imperfect and that, and that certainly the call was imperfect, um, in a sense it's like it's allowed us to to witness two men uh, behaving excellently. Whereas, if the call was right, we would have appreciated 
uh, Galarraga's perfect game. But, you know, we've already seen Halliday's and Braden's this year. This this is an interesting uh, view. This reveals something else about the human spirit. Cameron, I, I'm sure that you're one who has sort of been impressed by these reactions. Is that not a good enough reason not to overturn the call? No, you know, I I think when you looked at what Galarraga and Joyce and how they handled themselves, you know, I'd throw Jim Leland in there after he yelled at him on the field and took a totally different tone after the game. I think that, you know, we all have to be impressed with how these three men handled it. But at the same time, I think we got extraordinarily lucky that these were the men that were involved in this situation. I can only imagine that if, like, Dallas Braden was the pitcher, Alex Rodriguez was the <laughs> hitter, and, uh, you know, Angel Hernandez was the umpire, this would have ended in gunfire. Or so, I mean, you know, this could have been really disastrously bad. And, uh, you know, so I think, like, we don't want to say, well, good, this bad thing happened and these people overcame the bad thing, and so we got the chance to see uh, terrific human uh, society emerge where, I mean, you know, like I could take away your house and then see you th- flourish as a, as a homeless man and say, well, look at that overcoming spirit, but you know, I shouldn't take away your house. Clausen, are you not impressed by the, the, the almost the Job like reaction by, uh, <laughs> by Armando Galarraga or, or Jim Joyce for that matter? Yeah. I, yeah, obviously. I think, I think everyone is, uh, I'm with Dave. It doesn't make the situation any better. I, I'm sure Jim Joyce would rather have, uh, and Ann Galarraga would rather have uh, not had to show that kind of grace. On the other hand, I think, uh, I mean, look, I don't, you know what I blame this on the downfall of? Society. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound like that, but I wish we didn't have to go, I, I, I don't want to sound like a little geezer, uh, but I, don't, I wish we didn't have to have a situation like this to really see a great, dis, you know, great display of uh, sportsmanship on the side of Galarraga and, and maturity uh, uh, on, on all sides of this thing. A willingness, uh, you know, to admit he made a mistake on Joyce's part, and of course, uh, and, and a willing, you know, Galarraga didn't throw a fit. I mean, you forgot uh, Dave to add Lou Pinella into the mix as the manager. Yeah, <laughs> that would have that would have made it perfect. Um, what sort of person, Clausen? What sort of person does it take? I mean, what sort of I don't know um, values does it take to have a person react like Galarraga did? To react in, in the way that he did. I mean, what sort of person do you think that is? Like, have you met people like that? Do you think that would react like that? Is that the way that you would react? I, it's hard to say. Uh, I don't know how I would react because um, I make Tim Robbins look like Randy Johnson when it comes to throwing a baseball. But because uh, I love sports and I'm terrible at them, which is why I have to talk about them all the time. Uh, well, wait, wait, wait. That's but, not no, 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 I know, I know. Sorry, I did not mean to empty in the, the jocosity of either of you two. But but no, but, what, but but what I mean is, I, I don't know. I think it takes a in Galarraga's case, it's it's hard to imagine because I also realize that I, I don't mean this in a bad way. To be a professional athlete, even to be a bad one, you have to, you have be, to be you have to be incredibly driven and competitive. You have to want to excel. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are, we can think of a few exceptions. Not, I'm not going to call anybody out here, but for the most part, you know, it's not like uh, Barry Bonds. Uh, or whoever uh, Albert Pujols is is not like David Eckstein or, or Willie Bloomquist are much less driven and competitive than those guys. The different, you know, they all work really hard. They all really care. I think that's part of what it takes to achieve that level. And so for Galarraga to be able to put things in perspective, I mean, pretty quickly, immediately, right? 
Yeah, and you know who knows? I mean, there's a lot of dynamics at play. From what I've read, and you all may have read more. I think everyone's read this by now. Is that it? Who knows? Maybe it may have a lot to, all to do with with, with Joyce uh, because his reputation around the game, from what I've read, is, is really good with the players and the managers. I didn't, re- you know. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe it was you know he reacted well, but I think so. That might have been part of it. But Galarraga, I think part of it's maturity. Right. Uh, but but even a mature person, look if Galarraga would have blown up. I mean, obviously, if you would have thrown a fit, thrown bases around, and it, you know, attacked Jim Joyce, I think there would come a point where we wouldn't understand it. But if you would have thrown his glove down and said some bad words, you know, that doesn't make him a terrible person. Right. I mean, Mark Burley did more than that when he was called when he was, um, you know, called for what a second balk, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, his reaction was more extreme. Cameron, I'm wondering, you uh, you seem uh, you know like a reasonable person, but I've also heard you uh, chew out you know publicly. The uh, the North Carolina Department of Transportation, uh, you know, for uh, blocking highways between Zebulon, Zebulon and Winston Salem, you know, I I don't imagine that you would necessarily. How would you handle this, even you know, knowing Jim Joyce's reputation? Yeah, you know, I have to admit, as much as I would like to think that, I, I, there's no way I would have done what Armando Galarraga would have done. I think, like, uh, honestly, my, usually my reaction to something like that would be like start making jokes. So maybe I would have like started insulting like Jim Joyce LASIK eye surgeon or something. I would have like you know made sarcastic remarks about his abilities and then like probably moved on to his family members and mocked his kids or something. But I mean you know like there's no way that I would have handled it nearly as well as Galarraga did with a smile, walk back to the mound, get the next guy out, and then after the game be like, eh, who cares? I'm gonna show my kid a CD of this. I threw a perfect game and everyone knows it. I actually got 28 guys out. I mean like Galarraga handled this like, amazingly well and you know. Almost as impressive as the perfect game is how well he handled the whole situation. Okay. Now, this, this is all one one thing, right? This is the call, and, and that has uh, been largely the story about it. Of course, at Fangraphs, we're also interested um, in the maybe the nerdy performance-related aspects of it. And, and that brings up another sort of way, uh, question of how to enjoy a perfect game or why we enjoy a perfect game. Because just as this would have been the 21st perfect game, in history, had it uh, had it come to fruition, I don't think that anyone would ever make the argument that this was the 21st best performance in baseball pitching history. Cameron, I'm interested in how you sort of view this thing. Obviously, perfect game, Galarraga's perfect game in particular. He had three strikeouts, right? Now we could say that you know it's uh, you know, there's something to be said about him not walking anyone, not hitting any batters, his fielders, you know, including Austin Jackson, who I believe made the first out of the ninth inning on a crazy over-the-shoulder type catch. Uh, but is this your enjoyment of it? Is it, it's not necessarily enjoying Armando Galarraga's excellence? I'm assuming. What is the sheer pleasure of it? Is it because you're witnessing chance? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is something to the fact that it's just a rare thing that hardly ever happens, and people like to see rare things happen. Uh, and I would also throw this out there. I think this is one of those strange things where maybe maybe we've gone too far in sabermetric leaning when we, uh, you know, I know strikeout rate is a better predictor, and, you know, I'm all about, all about fielding independent pitching, but who's who are we to say that there isn't something that Armando Galarraga was doing that day that maybe he can't ever do again but for a three-hour time period, it worked really well and got hitters to hit weak ground balls. And, uh, you know, he w- he was able to perform at a level that uh, was able to induce outs on balls in play. Now, maybe he can't do it regularly, and he had an arm slot that he can't repeat. Or 
I mean, we're just not sure that that doesn't exist. And I mean, we could make all kinds of arguments about regression to the mean, and you know, I understand all those concepts. But maybe for three hours, Armando Galarraga was exceptionally hard to hit. I don't think we can discount that possibility simply because he couldn't do it over 200 innings or some larger sample size. So, do you think that this is a, a point where everything else aside, uh, we have to uh, practice some humility? in the face of this sort of performance? Like, we have to acknowledge our, I, I should say, our uh, our limits as baseball analysts and the, recognize the fact that something is possibly going on here? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like, you know, in a Major League Baseball game, uh, there are things that happen that we don't have a whole lot of insight on because a large part of what we do requires really big sample sizes of, like, oh, yeah, over time this will even out or you won't be able to do that for long. But we don't know why they're able to do it for a short period of time. We assume it's luck, but we're just kind of guessing because we don't have any other reasonable explanation. But that doesn't mean a reasonable explanation doesn't exist that we just haven't figured out yet. You know, for thousands of years, the reasonable explanation was the Earth is flat because they didn't know any better. And then, you know, they figured it out. Like, oh, the Earth actually is not flat. Maybe maybe in 50 years, we figure something out. Like, well, what we called luck was actually some kind of unrepeatable skill that was that existed for some short period of time. Right. Klaus, and I'm, uh, you know, a similar question to you is is the way you enjoy a perfect game, right? The way you would have enjoyed this, the way you enjoyed Halliday's or Braden's performances, uh, especially with regard to Galarraga, it's not like he was dominating them with swings and misses, right? Uh, yeah. He was incredibly efficient. You know, he didn't hit any batters, didn't walk anyone, but that describes a whole bunch of other starts. In this particular case, it's because he got everybody out, 20, you know, 26 of them consecutively and should have been 27. Do you appreciate that more or less differently than, you know, like a, a Pedro Martinez 17 strikeout performance, you know, versus the Yankees or another sort of performance like that where a pitcher is just really owning a team? Or, you know, is it similar for you? Uh, well, it's similar. I mean, it depends. I, mean, I think what we're talking about enjoying a perfect game and why people want to see it is because there's a, an aesthetic sense of enjoyment. And I don't think, it, you know, there may be, it may be something to do with the limits of analysis, but even if it doesn't, it doesn't mean you can't appreciate the, uh, I don't know the beauty of it, for for lack of a better word, off the top of my head. I mean, there's beauty to, you know, you know, Kerry Wood striking out 20 guys too. Now that's we can also now there's also the separate thing. What does that mean for their skills as a pitcher? But I think we're talking about a perfect game, in that sense. I mean, there's a level in which uh, the enjoyment level you're not analyzing. Now, if I'm a talent evaluator for a team <laughs> in the future, and I think that. Uh, and this is Armando Galarraga, you know. Uh, he's able to do this all the time. Well, then that's I. From what I know now, and I'm Dave right. Maybe we'll, maybe there is something else he's doing, but I, I would say that's a mistake. But that, you know, that's not necessary to appreciate a perfect game. I mean, Adam Kennedy. If I'm an, if I was an Angels fan, which I'm not, I would really appreciate the game he hit. You know, three home runs in the ALCS. Um, and, uh, you don't just, necessarily I need mean, him to be able to repeat that skill in order yeah. for you to be excited by it in that one instance. Right. I mean, I, Willie Bloomquist hit a home run so in the ninth inning the other day. A pinch hit home run uh, yesterday. Now, the Royals didn't win the game, and I am, say, at least not a big Willie Bloomquist fan, but I enjoyed the moment. Right. Okay. Well, you you know what you did uh, bring up there that uh, provides a, a flawless segue to the just a ne- the next uh, brief uh, topic I wanted to address here on the pod was the, the fact that um, – Earlier uh, this week, um, I introduced it, uh, to the wide readership uh, a metric that I'm referring to as NERD, capital N, 
E R D, all capitals. Um, and I have no idea what that stands for. But essentially, this is responding to a challenge that uh, Nair had presented um, with, with response to a post I had uh, put up earlier over at Fangraphs, you know, called Why We Watch. Essentially, what we're attempting to do here is to try and uh, predict ahead of time what may uh, what might make a game most appealing to a you know a saberist, um, so that you know each day. Uh, said Sabres doesn't have to sit down, look at each game, look over each stats, but hopefully in one number we can try and at least suggest um, what might be most exciting about a particular game. In this case, uh, we're starting with starting pitchers um, because they do decide a lot, I think, of what makes a game interesting or not. You know, I mean, you know, after team of, uh, team allegiance. Um, and so I, you know, we posted it, uh, some preliminary numbers. There was some good feedback. Um, I would say that there were some. Um, Hateful feedback as well, but uh, that's part part uh, part for the course. Uh, but in terms of improving on the numbers that exist right now, right now it's looking at xFIP, you know, primarily, but also a luck factor, ERA minus xFIP, um, swinging strikes, and then total strikes thrown. And basically, that's you know that's the number right there. And I think the list is pretty good. Uh, it's not perfect, you know. I think there are some exceptions you could take. People took umbrage at the uh, the low ranking for Tim Wakefield, who throws a knuckleball. I think there's some questions as to why Ubaldo Jimenez, who scored a 7 out of 10, you know, is not closer. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, Klaus, you brought up the idea of the aesthetic nature of the game. What are some, as you see, what are the you know, strengths and or weaknesses of the nerd number as it stands now? And where uh, where do we go from here? What, you know, what are, what's one or two things you, you would absolutely need integrated into the number as it stands? Well, let me say, first of all, I, uh, Carson, I don't know if you'll appreciate this moniker, but I am a big fan of, of sort of these fun toys uh, or junk stats, <laughs> as some call them. So I love this stuff, uh, they, whether they're humorous or serious or somewhere between. Like uh, you probably see a number of these uh, based on grit. Right. Yeah. yeah that the, appeared. Where, where did that first appear? Well, I've seen them before. There's one on. Uh, I know I said this all the time. The first one I ever saw. I've seen others since then. It was on Royals Review. Okay. It's called the grit average, and it, it included age, getting caught stealing, grounding into double plays, and it, and the guy ran the numbers. Uh, Scott Moore is his name, and, and it worked out really well. It was the 2008 Royals, like Mark Redzelana came out on top. I mean, so uh, you can't get uh, out of but, consonants but, 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 in a name. Uh, consonants in a name Does that inform the. <laughs> no, no, but but I but I, but I like nerd because it, but in corp because because it's uh, because it's not all the way humorous. I mean, I don't think I see it. Uh, essential thing. I mean, we do love the swinging strike because that's more fun to watch than just uh, because it's fun to watch people look silly. I mean, unless you're unless your team's up to the bat, but you know. Right, but I'm that's thinking. why Tim Lipscomb's awesome, right? Because well, I mean, yeah. uh, among other reasons, you know that if he's about to throw that changeup, that someone is about to uh, probably look silly. Yeah, and I and uh, and then using uh, xFIP and FIP is good too because I. You know, this gets back a little bit to my roasting. I think I think it's funny that I think there's a any. I, although I'm a Scott Baker fan, when I look at his numbers as, as, as an analyst, I think he's a good pitcher. Um, anything that makes him look, he's also got to be one of the. One, there's a lot of players like this. He's sort of a boring good pitcher. I mean, you know, I mean, I as an analyst, I think, boy, Scott Baker's good. I'm glad he's going tonight. You know, uh, because I'm a fantasy team or something. But uh, but anything that can actually make Scott Baker look exciting. <laughs> I mean, the name's Scott Baker. He's like a 1920s baseball player. Right. He's like all those Twins guys. Uh, well, actually, Baker was a, uh, a guy, because at first, in early, one of the earlier iterations of Nerd, I uh, I waited 
um, just strike throwing a little bit higher. And and he, I mean, he and Cliff Lee are the only guys who are throwing 70% strikes right now. Everyone else is, uh, is you know, relatively speaking, pretty significantly behind them. Um, and I noticed that he was ahead of Francisco Liriano at that point, and that seemed to me not to be true. And I think the difference is, like, Baker doesn't really have a true out pitch. He gets decent swing and miss numbers, but it's kind of average. It's like 10 to 11% on every one of his pitches, whereas Liriano is lower on his fastball, but his slider is like 25%, 30%. And I think having one pitch, to me, that was one of that's, – that's something that should be eventually a defining factor. Um, you know, because you look for Lincecum's changeup, you know, you look yeah. for Brandon League, not a starter, but you look for Brandon League's uh, crazy split change thing. And, you know, Liriano's slider is a real joy to watch uh, because that's the thing that gets swing and misses, you know. Well, well, I would say some of the things that I would be, I, I don't know how I would do it. That would be fun to add. Would well, don't be something worry about like, how to do it, just in your wireless range. Something about pitch speed, like if you're at the extremes. Right, okay. Like, so if the guys, I mean, I don't know, so guys, and we're talking about something aesthetic enjoyment here. So if a guy's throwing 91, 92, I mean, that's great. But if there's a guy throwing, you know, around 100 miles an hour, that should help. But if there's somebody else who, like, never throws 90, that should also help. You know what I mean? So you think, it, you think the, Jamie Moyer should be, essentially, should be helped by this? Well, helped, but but but, but he's also he's just not that good anymore. But somebody like, uh, like, I remember I had a lot of fun watching a game live a few years ago. Uh, it was Sean Markham versus Mark Burley. And they both pitched complete games. Although one was, and, and, and Markham, I think, had a shutout. I can't quite remember. And neither of them hit 90 the whole time. To me, that's a, that's a cool game. You know, right. I mean, well, I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that would serve as a bonus, too. You know, and, and that, that also came up with Tim Wakefield. Some people say, well, he should be an automatic 10 because of the knuckleball. Uh, I think that it's a bo- I think that a guy has to be able to perform, though, too. I think it's a bonus. You know, I think, you know, sure, Moyer throwing, uh, you know, performing decently. At, at lower speeds, that's a bonus, but I also don't think that's you know that's an automatic because if a guy can't get people out, you know ultimately that's the bottom line in baseball. And it, it, who cares what he's doing if he can't get people out doing doing it? And that's you know, that's it, 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 I don't think it, it really qualifies. Uh, Cameron, I want to move to you. What's something that you know that you think it's doing well? And I know that and you actually helped me in the sort of original iteration. You said if Cleese not at the top, then it's a bad stat because he's fun to watch. So you're probably happy about that. What's a place where it could be improved, and how would you improve it? Yeah, I think the one thing that's really uh, missing that is a big, huge factor in how much people like to watch pitchers pitch is time between each pitch. I mean, like Steve Traxel was uh, just the most horrendous thing ever because he took about four days between pitches. And, you know, Miguel Batista, there's these guys who just take forever. They walk around the mound, they're adjusting their cap, they shake off signs, they throw the first ten times, and it takes... 20 minutes from the thrown inning, and by the end of it, you're just like hoping that he gets hit in the head with a line drive so it can all be over. I mean, you're just like, that is terrible to watch these guys pitch, and no one ever wants to go see these guys, whether they're good or bad. Yeah, could we do like a, uh, I mean, I, what, what is the, wi- the most widely available? Could we just do like an average uh, length of game for those guys, or is that take into account the. Uh, I mean, does that take into account the, um, you know, like the bullpen too much, or what do you think something. You'd, like- you'd, you'd have to do a wowie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with or without you think maybe we can get Tango in on this because that's not it also it's, it's not fair if uh, you know Mark Burley's matched up with Gil Mesh that's not fair to Mesh right. I mean to Burley <laughs> to Burley that's Burley's going to get screwed right well, it, well it, would, it would it would come out in the long run though right and and we might not want to watch a game with Gil Mesh in fact Gil Mesh is towards the bottom of the list anyway right uh, right uh, so you think you think um, 
you think the the sort of length in between pitches that you know yeah I I, I definitely see that too because um, I remember back to this um, this game maybe it was about a month ago now the matchup between Colby Lewis and Cliff Lee uh, it I mean the game was done in an instant you know what I mean I mean I think they made it through nine innings in like two hours fifteen minutes because the guys were just dealing Cliff Lee obviously is a lot of fun to watch for that reason. Um, yeah, so I, so I think those are a couple of good ones. I think velocity uh, on the extremes is a good one. I think brevity is a good one. What do you what do you think about age, Cameron? How would you handle age, age or service time? Yeah, I mean, I think like uh, I, there, there is definitely something to watching an exciting young pitcher come up. I mean, I remember seeing Edwin Jackson made his major league debut. I think on his twentieth birthday, and he was facing Randy Johnson, who was like 106 at the time or something like that. And so it was this really cool like. Uh, passing of the torch kind of thing, and obviously Edwin Jackson is not Randy Johnson, but there was like this really cool dynamic of the old power thrower against the young, you know, the new guy, and that definitely added something to that matchup. And uh, you know, the fact that it was a major league debut—I mean, there was just a lot of things that went into that that made that a compelling story. So um, I think that you know, for a lot of these things, we're going to find that the extremes are interesting, and average is not that interesting. We can see a lot of average. There's a lot of guys floating around in the middle. What we really care about are the guys who are unique and so you know when we see really young guys or really old guys i think that makes them more interesting than normal yeah now another thing in terms of uh, at the extremes Klaus and someone uh someone mentioned in the in the comment section that um he was you know he kept watching you know levon hernandez's starts uh to wait for the regression to come you know and and i guess i see that on the one hand one of the things i did to the stat was i did look at era uh, minus xfip but if it was under zero, I just didn't count it. Whereas I think some people wanted to see maybe an absolute value reading there. For me, it almost seems mean spirited to want to watch a guy regress uh, to where it's you know his mediocrity becomes clear. Do you do you have that same reservation, or or are you all about watching Levon Hernandez or you know like you know, bearing a Levon Hernandez start to watch him regress back to the mean? Uh, well, in general. I I uh, I have to admit on on the on my on the sort of second level my, I know that I shouldn't enjoy that <laughs> because we're talking about especially because we're talking about aesthetics here but I'm also this is a not uh, one of my less uh, admirable qualities is that I can be pretty vindictive <laughs> so I would maybe not Levon Hernandez but there are certain players that uh, not because I just dislike him but maybe it's just because I want to be proved right or something that I. At least enjoy finding out they're aggressing to me, but yeah, I don't really enjoy it. I mean, no one likes to see a dude gets get lit up. I mean, leaving aside if if it helps your team or something. Also, yeah, you I mean, well, even with Levon Hernandez, is it enough? Because like then you have to watch Levon Hernandez. Is yeah, that, I don't know. To me, that's it's, not it's, enough. It's it's not worth it. You know, I mean, I, there are sit, every sitcom on TV right now is based around uncomfortable situations, and they're like half an hour long. I don't want to watch three hours of it. Cameron, what about you? Is is Levon Hernandez? I know you wrote about Levon Hernandez. It's an interesting thought experiment. But I have, if I sit down and make you watch Levon Hernandez for two and a half hours. Uh, well, I think the nice thing is if you're going to force me to watch Levon Hernandez regress to the mean, it's probably only going to take like 20 minutes because it'll be out by the second inning. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm kind of I'm not necessarily with Matt on the vindictive thing. I think I might like call it something nicer so that I can think more highly of myself. But yeah, like, that's what's happening. If, if, you want to use right, the euphemism. It, it, if you could, like, tell me that tomorrow I get to sit down and watch, you know, whoever the Cubs are facing put up 16 runs on Carlos Silva in the first inning, I'm there. Like, I'd buy a ticket. I'm flying to Chicago. I, I you know, I'm going to call my friend. I'm taking pictures. Like, I would love to see Carlos Silva 
have his ERA go by three runs in one start. That would be fantastic. I, I would book my day around that. But that would, in fact, that would actually be something, that would be a different sort of regression, because his XFIP is actually pretty decent right now. No, um, right, yeah, I mean, that's like, he's actually pitching uh, way better than he ever did in Seattle, so maybe it is bitterness or something. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, part of that watching... Watching guys you don't like do poorly, it doesn't have to be regression, but there's something fun in that, too. I mean, there's some pitchers in baseball that I just really not a big fan of, and when they get torched, I'm happy. And the problem is when those guys you don't like are on the on the team you cheer for. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's the part that isn't fun. It's kind of – sometimes it's being a Mariners fan, too, I think. it's is, Am I being unfair to say that, Dave? No, no. That, I mean, I you know we had the Bill Bavese years. I didn't, I hated that entire team from like 2004 to 2008. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably. Well, in fact, uh, we're recording this on a Friday tonight. There's a matchup. Uh, I I think it's in Seattle uh, between yeah. uh, Joe Saunders and um, Ian Snell. Ian Snell, and this is I mean this is early, early in the nerd era, but they both yeah. they both have a zero rating. I mean, there's only only the bottom, I think, you know, eight to ten percent of uh, qualified pitchers have that, and there they are. Is is that is that accurate in this case, Dave? Yeah, I, when I when uh, you actually talked about that earlier this afternoon on our internal uh, the discussion list, and you mentioned that that was the matchup, I didn't know that's who was pitching tonight. Uh-huh. At that point, I made plans to do something else. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm just not going to watch this game. And so like, even uh, your team allegiance is, isn't enough to force you to watch that particular matchup. I could watch Ian Snell or Joe Saunders. I can't watch both. Right, right. And that's sort of the sense I got. In fact, this weekend, actually, uh, you know, on this topic, there are some interesting cases where you have – so, for example, uh, we have at one point during the weekend, I think it's Sunday, Tim Lincecum, who is obviously fun to watch. I think he, he comes out with a nine, a nine score. And you could probably make a case for him, you know, being up in the the, the very top ranks. He's, he's facing Ross Ohlendorf. Uh, who is also very difficult to take. And this is a situation where, yeah, I would love to watch Tim Lincecum, but then I also have to watch Ross Ohlendorf. So it's like, you know, there would be like every 10 minutes I have to like, you know, go, you know, do something else with my life. Um, I mean, is that a game you could sit through, Cameron? Could you, if, if I forced you, I said, you get to watch Tim Lincecum, but you also have to watch Ross Ohlendorf. Would you rather watch two guys who are more average or, or is Lincecum enough for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask about Lincecum, just because I've had to endure the Lincecum Brandon Morrow comparisons for years and years and years, and you know he's the local Seattle boy that you know gets brought up in every USS Mariner thread around every draft ever. So I might be one of those guys like hoping that Tim Lincecum gets torched because that might be kind of enjoyable for me. Uh, I don't have anything against Tim Lincecum, but I, you know I'm certainly not a Tim Lincecum fanboy like a lot of people Maybe are. This so is the joy I get from not actually from being a relatively neutral supporter. Is that I don't necessarily have to deal with all these uh, all this baggage uh, of having to watch. The only thing it probably affects me with is that I I know that 95% of Red Sox fans and that's that's who I used to cheer for more than anyone else certainly uh, are douchey, and, but I think everyone recognizes that, um, and I actually love some of them for that reason. Uh, and the other thing is I, that's why I actually don't find Tim Wakefield as exciting because I've watched Tim Wakefield pitch certain games where. He just gives up like you know three dongers in a row, and I'm like, oh my god, this game's over. I don't want to watch it anymore. Uh, here's, here's, here. What? Sorry. Were, were we gonna were we gonna ask something? Well, no, go, go. No, because yeah, I think that's interesting about Wakefield. I think Wakefield, at this point, he's just interesting conceptually. But his actual, I think you're talking about the actual starts. Wakefield's interesting conceptually because we love the knuckleball because it's a great concept. This pitch, 
I mean, well, it's not just in, in reality. It's hard, you know. You don't know where it's going to go. There's not very many of them. They seem to only come into their own in their 30s or whatever. Uh, and uh, Wakefield's been around forever, and he's got the world's worst contract. Uh, well, I think that's different now. I don't think he has the year-to-year contract anymore. Yeah, but or whatever. But you know, well, th- anyway, the, the knuckleball is interesting conceptually. But see, to me, that reminds me of actually Ollendorf brought this up. Nothing that I've written about. That's not me. You okay? What's going on, Cameron? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. All right, continue. I'll say, I think it's actually, like, I think, like, Olinor, see, like, in Brian Bannister, I I don't really enjoy his starts. For one thing, he's not that great, uh, to say the least. But for the other thing, people enjoy him because he's got this nerd appeal, because he mentions FIP and Pitch FX every few weeks. Conceptually, you know, that's something. exciting. Yeah, so, hey, here's maybe, and I'm going to write, at some point, I'm going to write an issue called Nerds Like Us. Uh, Do it. Because, yeah, but, but, but he's just, I mean, if he didn't have that, would you really want to watch Brian Bannister? I mean, he's had games where he's, you know, he's, he's had stretches like last season where he's pretty good, but he doesn't strike that many guys out. He doesn't get that many ground balls, yeah. you know. And uh, Well, listen, and, I'm going to interrupt you now because we're getting to a point where um, conceptually the pod is interesting, but in practice yeah, yeah. Uh, it might be running on. It's becoming a, a little bit of a Steve Traxel start. Uh, yes. But I hope the readers uh, or the listeners made it this far. Let us thank our uh, panel. Clausen, you were the last one talking. Uh, let me say thank you to you uh, for joining and uh, and for your uh, unfettered enthusiasm. Thank you. Okay, very good. And Dave Cameron, uh, why don't you go enjoy your life uh, in 84 degrees or however it is. Take care, sir. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And uh, I uh, am and will continue to be Carson Zistuli, and this has once again been another edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.